Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. A surprising number of Americans are part of what's being called the gig economy. What that means is they are finding opportunities beyond their day jobs to earn extra money or pursue new skills. It's called a side hustle or moonlighting. Uber and Lyft drivers often fall into this category. They're a good example. But there are countless other opportunities, too. Joining me in studio to discuss the side hustle, Bob Ells, a full-time staff member at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. He is also an Uber and Lyft driver. William Frazier now has full-time employment but still does freelance work. At one time, all of his income came from multiple gigs. And Professor Matt Gravich is Director of Strategic Research in the School for Professional Studies at St. Louis University. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Matt, let me start with you. Uh, My impression is that a fairly large percentage of people are involved in the side hustle or moonlighting or freelancing. Yeah, uh, some estimates uh, put it somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of the workforce. Um, It really depends on how you talk about uh, people who are engaged in the side hustle. Uh, Some people are working a full-time job and engage in these side uh, gigs in order to supplement their income, save for retirement. Those are oftentimes the two biggest reasons people cite, pay down debt, save for retirement. Other folks cobble together multiple what would be typically defined as side gigs and, uh, and, and use those for the bulk of their income. And a third group of people, they either retired or someone else in the household works a full-time job and they have one of these uh, side gigs to help supplement the uh, the income that's generated. So when you put all of those folks together, it's you know somewhere between thirty and forty percent of the workforce. But there's not any real good solid estimates there. What does this tell us about our society and our economy today? Well, I, a lot of the 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 gig economy, if you will, started off during the recession when it was difficult to find work. People were being laid off, and all of a sudden, here came Uber. And, and Uber was kind of the first of the large employers of the gig economy. And by some estimates today, again, it depends on how you define it, but Uber accounts for about two-thirds of uh, the workers who, who have these uh, gig jobs. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks were either not comfortable with the amount of revenue that they were bringing or amount of income they were bringing into their household uh, there were folks who had a, a large amount of debt and needed to pay down debt, and they realized that the, the work that they were doing just wasn't going to, to generate enough money to help them do that. And really, a third group of people have decided that retirement is a very difficult uh, potential for them. Uh, if you look at the Uber workforce, for example, a lot of their workforce is 55 and up. Um, these are folks that are getting close to the age of retirement and are afraid that they don't have enough money saved up uh, to, to have the kind of retirement they would like to have. Bob L., you're not 55 or over yet, but, uh, you, but you are involved with Uber and Lyft, as I understand it. Yes, what's what's your story there? Well, uh, I guess it was about three years ago, maybe a little more than that, Uber entered the St. Louis market after uh, – Lyft had a very short run here, um, and they had some conflicts with the taxi commission, which were well documented in the media. Uh, So Lyft was sort of run out of town after that happened. Then Uber came back in uh, with their lawyers, as I like to say, and uh, operated in defiance of the taxi commission uh, for quite a while. I signed up for Uber um, back in summer of 2015, or yeah, summer of 2015, 
And whenever Lyft came back in 2017, uh, I signed up as well. And I've been driving for both since. Why? Why did you sign up for it? Well, uh, you know, a lot of my passengers ask me this, and the answer I usually give them is I enjoy money and I would like more of it. <laughs> so, uh, but mostly to pad my savings, to, you know, uh, build up a fund for unexpected expenses, you know, home repairs. Uh, you know, maybe I have have to go to the dentist, get a crown or something, you know, just things like that that in the past caused a lot of stress. And I know it caused a lot of stress for a lot of folks. Um, now it's not nearly as stressful because I have, you know, I have some money put away and Uber and Lyft have helped me do that. How many hours a week do you spend uh, doing this? Uh, it varies from week to week. I would say mostly, I mostly drive on the weekends, maybe about 10 hours uh, on Friday and Saturday nights mostly. Can I ask you how much you might expect to make over a stint like that? Well, uh, you know, it really depends on what's going on in St. Louis on a given weekend um, or even during the week sometimes. Uh, the nice thing about it is you can just turn the apps on and off whenever you feel mm -hmm. like working and, uh, you know, just try to make a little extra money that way. Um, I'd say in the beginning when there were fewer drivers, uh, it was fairly easy to make a few hundred dollars a week. Um, now that there are more drivers who have entered the, the, mm -hmm. uh, the gig economy in St. Louis, it's a little more difficult to make that kind of money. So I try to, I try to work smarter rather than harder given my, you know, I've, I have a good amount of experience doing this. I kind of try to know where to, where to go and sure. when to be there. Every little bit helps. It right? does. Right. Yes. William Frazier, let me turn to you. Your story is a little bit different. Tell us sure, what, uh, sure. what your experience has been. So um, back in, I want to say December of 2011, I graduated um, design major and business minor, but I decided that I wasn't really sure if I wanted to enter full-time into the workforce, so I actually started full-time freelancing um, back here in St. Louis, where I'm from. And f I want to say up until about four months ago, I was working uh, full-time as a freelancer, both design, um, user experience, that sort of thing, and then have actually partnered with another individual. Um, we have a company called Viable, and so um, I've been doing that for the past several years. Up until four months ago, I joined a company called Slalom, where I'm doing essentially the same thing, but for corporate clients. So I just was never really satisfied with the opportunities that I saw in terms of either uh, full-time employment or going to grad school after college. Uh, it's a huge investment in time and money, or even getting an um, traditionally unpaid internship. I feel like there are other unconventional opportunities that aren't really stressed as much. Seems very risky to me, though. I mean, you're week to week, you're, you don't know exactly what you're going to be making, what you're going to be doing. You have health insurance issues, perhaps, things of, uh, of that nature. Sure. So there are actually organizations out there um, who, they're relatively newer, but for example, one is called Freelancers Union. I mean, online, they help um, kind of direct and provide benefits and other sort of um, resources for freelancers and subcontractors. And they actually put out a uh, study roughly two years ago through LinkedIn um, that did claim that roughly 43% of the workforce is now either classified as a freelancer or a subcontractor. I mean, those are people who range from full-time freelance all the way to, like we're talking about, freelancing or moonlighting outside of their nine-to-five. 
Are you happier with your situation now where you have a, a, a specific position as opposed to the other? I, I will say it has allowed me to work smarter, not harder, like we were talking about earlier. I think um, I have less time outside of my nine to five, but that time is used much more intentionally. And I think I'm making a lot more long-term, smarter decisions for me, both business-wise, but also I think it helps provide a little more um, work-life balance personally too. Matt uh, Gravich, um, this uh, sounds like a fairly typical scenario, the two gentlemen that, that we have here. Um, what about the millennial population? It seems that, that a very large percentage of millennials today are involved in the, the side hustle. Well, so you have a lot of younger workers are uh, really, really motivated to have some level of flexibility. Uh, they don't necessarily want to be stuck in an office from nine to five. Uh, they want to be able to pursue various other interests, uh, passions, things that, that that they would like to do. And so these types of, of, of jobs, when they piece them together for full-time employment, give them the flexibility that they're craving. It oftentimes comes at a, a cost of not necessarily making as much money as they would like to make. Um, especially if they don't have something that they can leverage in a very competitive way. You know, the, the, the uh, example that William gave about uh, being able to freelance, you know, that works for some folks, but it, but it doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And the economy uh, constantly is shifting in what, what's valued, what, what you can actually uh, – uh, used to generate that competitive income and a strategic advantage. And so a lot of these younger folks, as they're trying to sort of navigate their way through that, they pick up these different side gigs, piece them together, and turn them into full-time employment. Sometimes it lasts for the long term and sometimes it doesn't. Of course, they have a different uh, kind of situation than their parents did because so many of them are coming out of college uh, so heavily in debt. So <laughs> they, they need to uh, pay those debts. Yes, and that's un unfortunate, right? So you had a lot of, especially with the, the predatory uh, institutions that were out yeah. there that were getting these students coming in, getting them to to take on massive amounts of debt and then giving them degrees that didn't really uh, guarantee that they would get any reasonable kind of employment. And so you've got a lot of folks out there who do have a lot of debt uh, and don't necessarily have any good income stream in order to help pay that debt down, and it makes it really difficult to actually do anything but tread water and sometimes even fall behind. William, I noticed you're nodding your head in affirmation as Matt was talking there. Was this kind of your situation? Um, so I actually am, I think, one of the few that is extremely privileged in the sense that I came out of college with little to no debt because I, I did choose to go to a very affordable but um, great school, Truman State University. And I think a lot of times, I completely agree, I think a lot of um, institutions had this idea that, you know, at the end of the day, sure, they need to fill seats, they need to, you know, um, tuition drives a lot of it. And so I think a lot of it is they're trying to present this broad, quote unquote, product, right? It's a uh, curriculum, it's um, faculty, knowledgeable, current faculty, and it's this idea of a network. And so I feel like those three individual pieces you can potentially find outside of the traditional uh, university setting. It, granted, it does take maybe a little more um, foresight and being a little more proactive in making those connections on your own, but I do think that opportunity does exist outside of those four walls. Bob Bell, what are you hearing and seeing in, in, from your perspective? Well, uh, like William, I also went to Truman and graduated from there, so uh, I'll also put in a good plug for them. <laughs> but 
you know, the gig economy has helped me do things like pay off the student loans I had a bit earlier than I expected. Um, you know, there are there are also a lot of people who uh, are out there trying to make a full-time living out of doing Uber and Lyft. And, you know, in a smaller metropolitan area like St. Louis, um, you know, it's it's not as easy to do that as it would be in Chicago or New York or L.A. Uh, so there is there there are a few folks out there um, trying to trying to make a go at doing this full time, and it's it's hard, but it can be done. Well, we uh, have to take a break now, but I want to encourage people who are listening to this program to give us a call with uh, regard to what they're doing, what they think about this uh, so-called side hustle, whether they're involved in it, and how well it's working out for them or not working out. We'd love to hear from you at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org, or if you would prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back as we continue our conversation on the so-called side hustle with Bob Bell of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, William Frazier, a designer and a freelancer, and Professor Matt, Grob- Matt Grovich of St. Louis uh, University. Again, our number, 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Give us a call. If you're involved, we'd like to hear from you. Matt, let me come back to you with regard to a couple of, uh, of issues that I think stem out of this. One, of course, is taxes. Uh, that would certainly have to be an issue with regard to keeping track of these earners out there who are not getting a pay stub every week necessarily. Yes, and and I would imagine that the tax implications differ from one side hustle to another. I mean, some folks are are independent contractors. Other folks are oftentimes considered part-time employees of the place that, that they're being employed by. And so I would imagine it can be quite difficult, especially the more of these kinds of, uh, of jobs that you're cobbling together. I think it can be very difficult to, to keep track of all that. How does it work for you, Bob? Well, uh, I do pay quarterly taxes. And um, I've ever since I started doing Uber and Lyft, um, I have kept very close track of my mileage and used a variety of software to uh, track expenses. And that's all worked out fine for me. But I also know that there are a number of drivers out there uh, who may not be aware of these issues. Um, and they might get a nasty surprise come tax time. It, it sounds to me like you're pretty much on the honor system. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, you know, but you, you do, uh, I believe Uber and Lyft do report your earnings to the the IRS. So uh, it, it will come back to you if you don't keep on top of do, it. Do you get a W-2? Uh, not a W-2, a 1099. Okay. All right. William, how about you? Sure. So I've definitely kind of gone through the gamut of both being a 1099. Uh, in the state of Missouri, it's actually fairly straightforward to set up your own LLC. Um, it's $50 online to register, and then you go through a few other steps. But So I've gone through that uh, situation, too, where we've actually worked with subcontractors. So I've both been a subcontractor and someone who's uh, employed a subcontractor. And so in that case, 
I 100% agree. I think you have to be on top of um, self-management and uh, organizing your taxes and reporting things, especially on a quarterly basis, too, Mm. for sure. Matt, do we have any sense that the economy, uh, the health of the economy or lack thereof, has an impact on the the population of these um, side hustlers, if you will? It's hard to say. Uh, the, The most recent recession is what really gave rise to the, the, the gig economy to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it will be interesting to see how the ebbs and flows of the economy actually has an impact on the number of people who choose or choose not to take on these, these sorts of side, side gigs. Yeah. Well, the, the uh, um, um, unemployment or employment rate, however you want to characterize it, is pretty good right now. So I would suspect that it would be sort of a flat line for, for this. And the other interesting piece of this is that if you think about the percentage of folks that are trying to save up for retirement or the folks that have debt, mm-hmm. as the numbers of those folks, uh, the numbers of folks that have debt increase or decrease, you're going to see more people either choose to or not choose to take on these kinds of work. In addition to that, as companies change their retirement benefits, as retirement benefits become less lucrative, the more older workers you're going to see choosing to take on these side gigs as a way of trying to maintain what retirement plans they have. Yeah, retirement is another issue. We can get into that in, in a bit. But let's take a call from John. He wants to join us from Ferguson. John, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Oh, thank you. Um, we, Me and my wife ran a hot dog cart for about five years at local festivals. And that's how we, that would our that is what was our side hustle. But it was like for Frosty on the Cake. I was, I'm employed by the Postal Service, so I make a good living there. But, you know, that pays the, pays the bills. If you wanted anything extra, you had to do something extra. Uh, John, how much time do, did you and your wife devote to this? Um, it was during the spring and summer and fall. Usually whatever festivals that were local in the area, um... We probably had about five or six real good ones we went to. We were selective in what we went to, so we wouldn't have to worry about kind of wasting our time. May I ask uh, how much you might expect uh, to, to to earn over a weekend at some of these festivals? Um, we would quadruple our money, usually, if we had the right festival. Like the Ferguson Fourth of July Festival or the Street Fest here in Ferguson, we had a a comp- an audience that was right there, and if we put in, for every dollar we put in, we were we could expect four dollars back out of it. All right, sounds pretty good. Everybody here is impressed with it, with that figure. Thank you very much, John. Good luck to you. You're out of that business now, I I take it. At the moment, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's between we got regular jobs now, and the economy has picked up. So. You know, we just haven't had to worry about it. Now we got a hot dog cart sitting in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) We're looking at, we're thinking about selling it, but it's like, you know, we don't really, you know, you can pull it out, dust it off, clean it up, get a ticket from county health, and quadruple your money again over a weekend. You know, it's kind of hard to throw something like that away. Absolutely. You never know what the economy's going to do day to day. But thank you so much, John. Good, Good luck to you. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Matt, let's come back to this retirement issue uh, because um, 
You know, that's really, again, talk about a certain element of risk. Um, You've got to make a lot of money to put it away to have something there when you retire. And who knows what's going to be there 20, 30, 40 years from now. Well, that is certainly true. Um, Now, if you look at the the majority of folks that are, are taking these types of jobs to save for retirement, most of them have a full-time position or they're recently retired or they're transitioning into retirement and they just don't feel as though they have enough money saved up in order to maintain the lifestyle they want to be able to maintain. The vast majority of workers who are piecing together various side gigs into full-time employment, I don't know how many of them are really focused on the, on the, the thought of, of how much money am I going to have in retirement because it can be very difficult with a lot of these side gigs and to, to generate enough income to put some, some of it away. What were you thinking about, William, during the time when you were totally dependent on these extracurricular activities about your retirement? Or were you thinking For about For sure. It? And I think as someone who falls definitely within that millennial category, right, I, I think a lot of times it's kind of redefining what retirement looks like to the individual, right? So I think these days, I know a lot of people my age value travel, right? And that's something traditional. I think our parents and our grandparents maybe did towards the end of their careers once they were retired, where these days, I mean, I think we found round-trip tickets to Denver for $70 on specific websites and apps. So I think it's that kind of thing where a lot of people my age, I think, have redefined what it will mean to retire and either uh, potentially a lot of what we do can be um, done later on in life. You know, it's less manual labor. It's more, you know, a lot of software, IT, one category. But a lot of those things I think you can do later on in life versus you know, a lot of the hard labor that was um, uh, more prominent before. And don't get me wrong, people are still in that category. And, um, you know, definitely, I think, work hard day in and day out. Um, but I do think a lot of people my age are kind of redefining what retirement looks like to them down the road. Bob, you're in a somewhat different situation yes. because you have a, a, a full-time job with the uh, University of Missouri-St. Louis. Yes, and I've been there long enough that I'm vested in the uh, retirement plan, the pension plan. So, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to that, of course, but it never hurts to put away a little little extra money. What do you hear? I don't know how much contact you would have with other uh, Uber or Lyft drivers because you're working separately and apart. Like but, ships passing in the night, mostly. Uh, but, but do you know others, and what kinds of stories do they tell you if you do? Uh, you know, there are some uh, other drivers who, um, you know, they, they are saving for retirement, uh, some who are supplementing full-time jobs, some who are trying to do this full, do Uber and Lyft full-time. Uh, you know, it's it's just a wide range of, uh, you know, different situations. Um, of course, I can only speak for myself, but uh, but yeah, you know, every every Uber or Lyft driver has has a unique story mm-hmm. and unique reasons for for doing it. Matt, it seems to me, given what uh, William has said in particular, that a, a, a sort of new series of uh, industries are being uh, are being created as a result of this. He's talking about apps and talking about in- insurance uh, that uh, independent uh, uh, entrepreneurs uh, can uh, can take advantage of. Absolutely. Anytime, anytime there's a shift within the market and 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 new primary jobs pop up. There's always supplemental work that goes along with that and resources that need to support those primary positions. And so there's always going to be, and there's what we're thinking about today is probably nothing compared to what we're going to see in three, five, 10 years from now, the kinds of supplemental uh, work that, that surfaces to help support people who have these side gigs, assuming it continues to trend upward. 
Yeah, they're probably people who uh, are creating their own side gigs in order to take advantage of the, uh, the hustle economy, the side hustle economy. What, uh, what other challenges do you see for people who are walk, walking into this world, William? Sure. I think one of the biggest things when I talk to people who are interested in this sort of career or kind of creating your own path, I, I do stress the idea of kind of positioning yourself, right? So I think, in my mind, I think everyone does have a marketable skill, um, but it, it's hard to kind of connect that with an audience or a group that needs that marketable skill, right? So in my mind, I kind of break it down like, who are you? What skill do you want to provide? Um, to whom do you want to provide that skill? Clients or users or you know whoever that is. And then what? How do you translate that value? So I feel like if you can break down those four things, it makes it a lot easier to kind of position yourself for success in this sort of uh, industry or kind of lifestyle. Bob, what do you see as the challenges ahead? <sighs> challenges ahead. Uh, well, you know, I was just thinking ten years ago, nobody had any idea that this would be a way to make a living, Uber and Lyft, uh, the or. Or other things like Postmates or uh, DoorDash, uh, which are food delivery apps. Um, so I think the challenge really is going to be uh, adapting to whatever comes next and uh, you know, staying, staying up to date with the technology and different opportunities that are presented by changing technology. Matt, one of the things that we have alluded to in this conversation is the fact that uh, people use this time and the, this, these uh, this moonlighting uh, trend, if you will, to uh, to uh, hone skills and to develop a, a, an entrepreneurial plan of some sort. Is there much of that going on? There is, to some degree, a fair amount of folks who are using side gigs as a way to try to perhaps dabble in starting their own business. One of the challenges that you see when people have a full-time position and are trying to do this on the side is that oftentimes they're not really investing enough time and energy because there isn't enough time and energy to invest in that side business in order to get it where they're hoping that it's going to go. Unfortunately, there's a lot of information out there on the internet that is is giving people sort of false uh, aspirations in terms of what is possible and, and what kind of entrepreneur or entrepreneurial success they can expect. And that's something that folks are going to have to get more educated about if this is going to grow to, to, to better understand really what are the upsides and downsides and what is the likelihood that I'm going to be the next hugely successful million-dollar entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You want to comment on that, William? Sure. I completely agree. I think I still find it obscure that there are entrepreneurial programs in universities because – the way I've talked to other friends and other people who've been in this sort of position, it is almost kind of receiving your MBA the hard way, where those life skills that you learn and those kind of marketable skills you learn are almost out of necessity. Like you said earlier, Don, the, the idea that if you don't hone this, you may not get a paycheck next week. And I feel like that's a pretty big motivator versus you may get a, you know, a B or C in that class. I feel like it's a very different, the stakes are very different. It, it gives a different interpretation of self-starting, doesn't it? Definitely. Got to get out there and get it done. I think it takes a ton of self-awareness for sure. Bob, any thoughts on that? Well, I definitely agree that uh, you know a lot of folks need to look at both the the advantages and disadvantages of doing this kind of work, including especially taxes, insurance, expenses, uh, because it's easy to just look at. Um, you know, let's say you make four hundred dollars in a week. You know. Just look at that as extra money that's yeah. just sitting there, and that's not that's not the case at all. Speaking of insurance, as an Uber driver, did, is your insurance uh, different from what it would well, be if you were not doing that? Actually, Uber and Lyft both provide insurance coverage when you're uh, when you're on a trip. 
uh, with a passenger or on your way to pick up a passenger. And I've I've discussed the uh, uh, my Uber and Lyft driving with my insurance agent, and uh, we've determined that my own coverage that I have, my policy I have, is sufficient um, for the times when I'm not driving around or when I'm not with a passenger on my way to pick someone up. But other than that, there's uh, there are insurance policies provided by Uber and Lyft. Yet another wrinkle, Matt, in, uh, in this whole world. We have an email here from Abby who writes, what do you do when friends and family don't support your side gig or the idea of going full freelance? How do you find the motivation for yourself? Who wants to take that one on? William? As someone who maybe, I think, starting out, had a lot of resistance or pushback from parents and people, I think, in the, the generation before, I think it does come down to, I mean, at the end of the day, we only we each only have a certain amount of time you know, like on this planet. And so I think doing what eventually feels right for you, but also is you know, responsible, and whether it is you have, I talk to people who start freelancing or side gigging and they have a, a family uh, and it's a lot harder to do that versus if you're just getting started and you're maybe single, a little younger, maybe you have more energy and that sort of thing. So I think it does come down to being self-aware enough to realize this is, you know, what I want to do and this is why I want to do it. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I don't want to say ignoring the people that you care about, but sometimes they're just not going to understand. And I think a lot of people, when they don't understand something, they automatically resist it. Anybody, Bob, you want to take that too? Well, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with what William was saying. Um, another another aspect, something I personally encountered was, uh, you know, family members being somewhat concerned about driving late at night, picking up yeah. strangers, that sort of thing. But uh, one thing I've always said to reassure them is, you know, if if I feel unsafe, I just turn around and head out, cancel the ride request, um, you know, and there's always documentation of who's with me and who they are and uh, when and where I pick them up and drop them off. Well, we're going to have to wrap this uh, part of the conversation up. Most interesting indeed. Let me ask each of you to just put a kind of, of a lid on this thing. Matt, I'll start with you. Uh, what advice do you have for young people or people maybe not so young who are interested in getting into this gig economy? Well, I would say my, my biggest bit of advice is to think through what it is that you want to accomplish and why you want to accomplish it. Because everyone has a limited amount of time and energy. And while oftentimes it sounds really good to make a little extra money, making that extra money comes with the costs of time and energy. And you, you need to really think through what the upsides and downsides of that would be. How about you, William? I would definitely say <clears throat> uh, me 10 years ago would have said just dive right in. But I think with a little bit of time and maturity comes this idea that it's okay to experiment right off the bat. Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with if you have a full-time job or a few part-time jobs. Um, just dabbling and in, in starting with a, a passion or a hobby and interest. And if enough people are attracted to that, it could potentially turn into a full-fledged side gig or even you know business that you um, establish. So nothing wrong with starting off small. And Bob, you get the final word. Well, oh, well, thank you. That's very, that's quite an honor. But unfortunately, I don't have anything to add that hasn't already been said. Uh, I think Matt and William did a great job of summing up my uh, my words of advice as well. Well, you all did in this segment. I thank you all very much for being with us. Bob Bell of the University of Missouri-St. Louis, thank you for being with us. Thanks. Good uh, luck to you as you continue on with uh, your second career, if you thank will, you. your additional career. Uh, William Frazier, thank you so much uh, for being with us. And Professor Matt Gravich, thank you of St. Louis University. Great to talk to you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.